live and in person. The other quick thing I have to say, um, when we do the baptism, some of our, our team who have put this together, they've asked that all of us step gingerly into the waters um, just uh, so that we uh, mind the overflow and, and the AV material there. So we can just be mindful of that. If I don't say it now, I'll forget. But I want to welcome you all. This is a special day, uh, a special day, obviously, for, for me personally and in countless different ways um, because it's that special moment where we get to obey Jesus and see the work that he's done in our hearts and our lives and in our church. So would you join me with a word of prayer? Lord Jesus, we come to you and we rejoice that you're our Savior and King. And we come to you, O blessed Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And we marvel at the mighty work that you've done uh, in the lives of these dear saints who are being baptized today, but also in the life of our church and in the life of San Jose. We rejoice in these things, and we're, we're thankful and we're humbled that you have come and done what no man could ever do. Uh, least of all us um, sinners who have been saved by grace. And so we thank you for this time. Bless us, Lord. Open our eyes and ears, and would you enable us to behold the wondrous mystery that you have made a reality in the lives of these dear saints. In your name we pray, amen. Psalm 145, this is in the Old Testament. It says, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. One generation shall commend your works to another, and shall declare your mighty acts. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord. And brothers and sisters, this is really what we're gathered to do. We're gathered to live out this psalm. It's something that started in the Old Testament but continues in the New Testament. It's a a proclamation and a praise of the mighty work that God has done. And it's done, and that praise is done by, as the psalmist says, all your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord. And what we celebrate in baptism is that these gracious saints who are coming to be baptized, they are God's work. That's what believer's baptism is all about. Believer's baptism is not a choice. It's not, quote-unquote, a confirmation by the church. It is not something that makes you holy or saves you. It's really a testimony, and you're going to hear testimonies this morning, that point to the mighty and miraculous work that the God of the Bible, from the Old Testament through the New Testament, has done before our very eyes here among people who are standing before us this day. Believer's baptism is a proclamation and it's a celebration that's done in obedience to Christ's command. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity. It's done in obedience to His command to celebrate, to praise, and to proclaim the mighty and merciful work that God has done in the lives of His children and in His saints by bringing them out of the world, uniting them with His Son, and transforming and making them. This is doing what no man can do. This is not a lifestyle choice. This is not a decision for Christ. This is not a decision to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. Those may be steps along the way, but to do what no man can do to really change a person, to give them a new heart, to give them a new life, to give them a new family, which is the household of God, and to give them really a new eternity. And that life is a life that is united in the holy and sacred person of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And 
Brothers and sisters, that's what believers' baptism, we call it believers' baptism, those who profess faith in Christ, is all about. It bears witness to what God has done, what God the Father has willed, what God the Son has accomplished through His death on the cross and through His resurrection from the grave, and what the Holy Spirit has done by coming in and uniting those hearts and giving these dear saints a completely new heart and a completely new life. 2 Corinthians 5.17, this is the Apostle Paul speaking, and he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And the testimony of God's Word, as we consider what you're going to witness today in a, in a few moments, maybe many moments, okay, but in, in a little bit, you're going to hear testimonies. And those testimonies are really the living witness of God's Word in a saint's life. And the testimony of God's Word, the testimony of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, is that we are all, all born into this world as totally depraved sinners. And I know that's an offense, because many of us lead respectable lives. But by God's standard, as He looks into the hearts of His creatures, who He has created for His glory, and to live for Him according to the standard of His Word, we all fall short of the glory of God. And as we consider our hearts, we know that from the fetus onwards... We live for ourselves. We live for our glory. We live for our sinful desires. And it doesn't have to be something tragic or horrific. It can be small things or small ways in which we're living in rebellion and saying, forget about you, God. I'm going to live according to my word, my life, my ways, and what seems best for me. And yet God in His mercy and grace looked at us and saw that really we were separate from God and we were doomed for destruction under His wrath. And so He sent His only Son, His begotten Son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, into this world as a baby. He sent Him 2,000 years ago in Palestine to come in and to live a life that we could never live, a life of perfect obedience and perfect love for the Father, in perfect obedience to His Word, and that perfect obedience and the test of it really led to the cross where Christ was crucified, innocent by both human standards and by God's standards, and yet crucified. Why? So that He could give His life as a selfless sacrifice, as the payment for our sin, a substitute to take the judgment of God that we deserved so that we in turn might go free that we might be forgiven, that we might be washed and clean, and that we might be given a completely new life by the power of His Holy Spirit. A new life that may start simply as a seed, may hardly be visible, but nonetheless over time is shown to be a life that lives and loves God. And because that new life lives and loves God, and because that new life is from Christ, it's also a life that lives and loves sinners in the way Christ has loved us. Selflessly, sacrificially, for the benefit of God and for the benefit of the other, and and for no consideration for ourselves. That's the testimony of the gospel. And it points, brothers and sisters, not so much to us, and you're going to hear that in the testimonies today. It points to a God who is holy and righteous, and yet He is merciful and gracious. And He understands exactly what we need, something we cannot purchase, 
something that we cannot come and proclaim or do on our own. It's really that new heart, that new life, those new desires that really come from above and that are devoted to everything that is good and holy and pure and everything that comes from the Lord. As we consider the world we live in, as we consider the churches we worship in, brothers and sisters, we know firsthand the reality that there's nothing we can do, nothing we can sing, nothing we can work, no way we can parent our children, none of these things that can do that. It's Christ alone who's able to do that. And that's why we celebrate. That's why this is a gospel celebration, because it's a testimony to a mighty work of God. And it's a privilege for us to gather and to see this and to stop sometimes because we're so busy. And many times, like myself, we can be so busy in ministry and doing all of these things and going to conferences and doing all these things that we get lulled into the sense that this is about what we do. But the Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.14, how does this come about? It can only come about by the love of God the love of God in Christ. He says, For the love of Christ controls us, or compels us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. It's this sovereign love of God that comes and exchanges a life, the life of His Son, for our filthy, sinful lives. And He does it in an exchange in which we receive His life from above, and all we give Him is our life, our filthy rags. And brothers and sisters, this is what baptism is all about. It's this new life of faith in Christ. And it's what Christ commands in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, that we're to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, really as a public confession, as a testimony of saying, we agree with what Scripture says. This is who God is, this is what He has done, and this is what our lives are all about, and this is who we belong to. And as these saints get baptized into Christ, they're not only baptized into Christ, Scripture tells us they are baptized into the family of God. So local church, that points its finger at us. We're responsible for these dear saints. They belong to Christ, and because they belong to Christ, they belong to us. And their walk, and where they go, and what they do, and what happens to them, we are our brother's keeper. It matters to us. This word baptize comes from the Greek word baptizo, which means to immerse and dip. In the ancient Near East, that word was used for ships that sank, and everything on board went to the bottom of the ocean or the sea, and everyone on board drowned. It was also used in commerce and industry, in the dye industry, where white cloth would be taken, and it would be immersed in an expensive dye. And that dye would come and penetrate every aspect of that cloth, and it would be raised out, and then it would be useful and become incredibly expensive, because dyes at that time were very hard to make. They would take shells of snails, and they would crush them, and they would use it to get that color purple. And they would come and have a whole industry, if you think of doing snail by snail and doing that, and taking these pieces of linen, dipping it in that dye, and then raising it out and making beautiful garments with it. 
And something that was worthless before comes out after being immersed and transformed and filled with something completely foreign to it, comes out and is transformed into something completely different. And so our Lord and Savior Jesus commands that we baptize, not as baptism doing anything for the person, but as a confession of faith, a profession, and a symbol that points to what God has done for this individual. And there are three biblical truths about God's work that baptism points to. And I want you to think about these as you're going to hear the testimonies and you're going to see these individuals be baptized. This immersion in water, first, it's a symbol of a life that God, by the power of His Holy Spirit, that He is immersed, that He is washed, that He is covered with the blood of Christ. That idea of coming in and being completely filled. And like a dirty rag, when it's immersed and washed in that water, it comes out as something completely different, washed completely of sin, past, present, and future, and brought out as something completely different, something rich, something wonderful, something filled with Christ, a life that is now ready to be used to demonstrate the beauty of its maker, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And that's why the Apostle Paul in Romans 6.3 talks about being baptized into Christ Jesus. This idea of a, a life being brought right into the entire life and person of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? This is 1 Corinthians 6, 9. And he's taught, and then he goes on and lists a whole list of types of people, of which, quite frankly, brothers and sisters, we are all one of those people. And then in verse 11, he says, And such were some of you. Makes a point. Hey, none of us is above, uh, are above these things. We're all these things. And he says, But you were washed, you were sanctified, You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Points out this is a supernatural work of God. First symbol or work of God that these individuals have been washed by the blood of Christ and forgiven of their sins. Second, baptism is a symbol and picture of God destroying our old life of sin and our old self with Christ. It's like that ship that's submerged in the ocean. Everything on board is completely gone. There is no life that lives that sinks in that ship. Romans 6.4, the Apostle Paul talks about being buried with Christ through baptism into death. And in verse 6, Romans 6.6, he says, Our old self was crucified with him. He makes a point that when God, by faith, unites our lives with Christ, He unites our, our lives with the entirety of Christ, past, present, and future, and that includes Christ's crucifixion. It means those who are being baptized, it's a testimony that because their lives are united with Christ, they have died to that old life of sin. Sin is no longer their master. Sin no longer rules over them. They no longer answer to the world. They no longer answer to the old things and the old desires and the old things that ruled their life. Now, when they come out, are they perfect? No, absolutely not. Because as we go through the gospel, we see that God graciously and mercifully gives us that new heart, and it comes in like a mustard seed. And over our lives, that mustard seed, it grows. But the trajectory of our lives is increasingly like Jesus. And what God graciously does like a kind and good father. 
He's not a father who comes to his children as soon as they're born and says, okay, I expect you to get 1,500 on your SATs. I expect you right now to function as a professional basketball player or a professional soccer player. I expect you to be perfect because you're from my family. No, he understands that children need to grow. He understands that children need to be loved and nurtured. He understands that children are prone to wander, but they have a good father. That old life is no longer their master. They no no longer need to answer to the tyranny of this world, career, education, family, all of those things. Instead, they have the privilege of being shepherded by a father who loves them perfectly. And the testimony of that is the cross, that he was willing to give his son to die in our place. And the seal and guarantee of the Holy Spirit who's present in us, that when we walk astray and we go our own way and we dispose of the gospel, a conviction of the heart that we are not doing what a child of God does. Thirdly, baptism is a symbol of God raising up a new life that is united with Christ and filled with his Holy Spirit. Like that dirty rag that has been washed, but it emerges wet and clean, ready to be used by its owner, so too is this new life of the disciple who has been washed of sin, died to his or her old life of sin, and who's now filled with the Holy Spirit, and whose life now belongs entirely to Christ. And this new life, the Apostle Paul shows us and Scripture shows us, is a life that is characterized not by living for ourselves, but it's a life. And it's not even a life of doing all the things that make someone look good at church, singing the hymns, serving in ministry, learning all the theology. It's a life entirety that's characterized by repentance, turning from sin and the things of this world, and turning to Christ as our only help, a life of repentance and faith in Christ. And that's from the moment we gasp our first breath as a child of God to the moment in this life that we give up our last breath. You may know the name Augustine, a giant of the faith. He's written works that have influenced the church that many would say we couldn't even touch or scratch. He had lived a horrible life, a life consumed with sexual immorality. And God saved him and transformed him and did what he could not do and made him into a child of Christ. And at the end of Augustine's life, he went back through all his written works. And he looked back and made corrections and said, Look, God's matured me. And there were many things I thought I knew that over time God has shown me through the light of his word that I was still a work in progress. And before he died... He asked to be alone and to be in a room whose walls were filled with the Psalms so that he could meditate on the Word of God and prepare his heart. So when he breathed his last breath, it was a breath that was filled with the love and praise of the mighty works of God. Brothers and sisters, this is what we celebrate because death is no longer the end, it's the beginning of an eternity and a new life with God because our Savior has conquered sin and He has conquered death. It's a new life that begins here, but it continues throughout eternity, the joy of being with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 
So the Apostle Paul says, So you also must consider yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live, I live by faith in Christ, the one who loved me and gave himself for me. Brothers and sisters, that's not just the Apostle Paul. That's every true child of God. And that's what we celebrate, and that's what you're going to hear about in just a few moments. I want to close with a couple of thoughts and to remind us, church body, of our role as a church. Our focus on, is on those who are going to step into the waters of baptism. But for those who are saved and are children of God, this is, in many ways, tied to us directly. Christ commands that the local church do this, acting as ambassadors for Christ and acting under His power and authority. So this is not someone just getting up here and saying, okay, I'm a Christian. This is Christ, through the local church, affirming the confession of these saints. And through that process, I want you to know in advance, these disciples of Christ who have come, who are making a proclamation saying that Christ is their Lord and Savior, that they've been saved by God, and that their lives entirely belong to Him. This has been the process of several months. For some, a few years. They've come and expressed an interest, and the church has walked alongside them. There are people, brothers and sisters, who have functioned as mentors or big brothers or big sisters to these saints to come alongside and walk with them and hear their testimonies and hear what God has done in their lives. There are those here who have been baptized before, realizing through this process that Sometimes they were doing what the church, they thought the church expected or what they needed to do to be a Christian, but over time realizing it was God who had to do the work in them. And what we do is affirm. There are others who are going to share their testimony, and you're going to hear how the local church said, I think you need to wait. I'm not sure whether you're really a Christian, whether this is the work of God or just a desire in your heart. And over time they came to be aware of the good news of Jesus Christ, and they, in fact, were saved through the process. And so the work of the local church here is to come in and to shine the light of God's Word and to point saints to Christ and to show Christ's standards, not our standards, and to affirm together where two or three are gathered in the name of Christ to say by the testimony of God's Word, we believe that these saints indeed belong to the Lord. Do we get it perfect? No. Are we always correct? No. But Christ is never wrong, and he uses this process to bring these saints into the church. We're commanded as disciples to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to demonstrate that these saints belong now entirely to Christ and his family, the household of God. But there's a second aspect that we're commanded to do. Do you recall what that is in Matthew 28, 18 through 20? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Yes, absolutely. We're called to teach them to observe all that Christ has commanded.
And that is the responsibility of every person who's a member of Lighthouse Bible Church and is a disciple of God. It doesn't end here. Our responsibility begins to come just like they do by faith. Baptism for them is a participation by faith in the work of God. And that's why everything that they do here is is passive. They're immersed. They're brought out. It's this idea of God is doing this, but I am voluntarily by faith submitting to the will of God in my life. But brothers and sisters in the local church, we have a responsibility to participate by faith in their lives. And that's by teaching them to observe all that Christ has commanded. And that command includes Matthew 18, church discipline. It means coming alongside sometimes when a brother is stumbling or a sister is stumbling and straying and gently pointing them back to Christ and saying, this is not becoming of the gospel or the Christ to whom you belong. And if truth be told, brothers and sisters, those are words that we all need at different times in our journey. And it's the way the Lord works through the local church and through His Word to love us and to keep us close to Him from the beginning of our pilgrimage to the end when we finally see Him face to face. For those of you who are here as family and loved ones and members, this day is an incredible celebration and a gift and a privilege to be here. But it's also a challenge to all of us. Do we know Christ in this way? Is He our Lord and Savior? As you listen to these testimonies, it's important for you to consider, well, has this work been done in my life? Am I just a member of a church because I signed something on the dotted line or I show up on Sunday? Or is this the work that's been done in my life? Because this testimony here this day is for you, as is said in Acts 2.37 by the Apostle Peter, repent and be baptized each one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, because of the forgiveness of sins, be delivered from this doomed and desperate generation. And when he's talking about generation, as we've learned, it's a reference to the whole kind of people who do not know God or do not know Christ as their Savior and Lord. It's good news, but it's good news that we all need to have. At this time, we're going to begin our baptism celebration. We're going to ask these dear saints to come up and share their testimony. As you listen to them, consider the confession that they make, the conviction that the Lord has brought into their heart according to God's Word, and the commitment that they're publicly making before all of you, but most importantly, before their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And with that, I'm going to ask our first uh, baptizee, to come, um, someone who's familiar to many and myself, I'm going to ask Julie Chin to come. Surprise! <laughs> um, I'm Julie Chin, and this is my testimony, and I'm thankful to be here today, and for the warm water that the brothers have been working hard on. In 2 Timothy 1.5, the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, saying, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Though in many ways, I grew up in a typical church-going Korean-American immigrant home with both parents having to hustle hard to provide for our family, God used my grandmother's fervent faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord to shine the light of the gospel in my life. 
Before I was born, God had used the gospel message of Jesus Christ brought to brought by missionaries in Korea to save and transform my grandmother's life. My grandmother was the first of two wives. Understandably, my grandmother hated the second wife, but with Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior and by the power of the Holy Spirit, God gave her a new heart to love and share the gospel with the second wife. When I was born, my grandmother immigrated from Korea to take care of me. In and through her deep devotion to Jesus as Lord, God exposed me to a faith in Christ that was very much alive. Harmony had me sit with her during her devotions. She read scripture, sang hymns, and prayed all in Korean, very often with tears streaming down her face. I didn't understand all that she was reading or praying, but the Lord showed me what a life dependent upon Christ looked like, and that the gospel was indeed the power of God for salvation for all men, for the Jew first, but also for people like me. When the gospel was shared in Sunday school, I desired to respond, and it was around this time that I was first baptized. I wanted Christ to save me from an eternity in hell. But I didn't understand that what I really needed was a God who could do what I could not, save me from my sinfulness. I was blind to the reality that I was a slave to sin, dead in it. I thought I could try to be a good Christian who simply chose not to sin. My life became a cycle of feeling good about myself, trying to repent, and then feeling terrible. I became a legalist, finding confidence in the things I did well, like reading the Bible because it was the right thing to do, rather than reading it to know the love of Christ as my Lord and Savior. Looking back, I was really more focused on what I was doing for God and blind to what Christ had done for me. By God's grace, the Lord led me to a parachurch ministry that went through a series of Navigator's Bible study books. The first book was on assurance of salvation, and the first assurance that was covered from was from 1 John 5, 11 through 12. And this is the testimony God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Through these simple studies in God's word, I began to see who Jesus truly is, that he is God's son, my Lord and Savior, the holy God who had died to set me free from my life of sin and had risen from the grave to give me a new life of faith in him. Knowing him through his word became my greatest gift. I saw that my salvation was not about me but about God and what he has done in Christ by the power of his Holy Spirit. At this time, Christ began to change me, giving me new desires and a growing life of repentance and faith in him. Several of us in high school started a Christian club on campus. The discipleship ministry grew, and I quit cheerleading my senior year because it wasn't as important to me as Christ. And it sounds really silly now, now that I'm 46, but back then it meant a lot to me. Second Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Though God greatly used the parachurch ministry in my life, during college, the Lord made it clear through his word that it was his will for me to move on from parachurch life and to be given over completely to life in the local church. 
For a long season, the Lord gave me a group of like-minded believers at church who were committed to living out the truths of Scripture. And though he didn't have to, in his kindness, the Lord showed me little by little that his word is true, and faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of God. Through the local church, the Lord showed that he could not he not only saves, but he sanctifies with his word, making us more like him. I could trust his word not only when it was easy, but also by the Spirit's help when it cost me my pride, worldly pursuits, and even friendships. His promise to complete his perfect and good work in me is true. Another significant spiritual marker came in the area of singleness. In the Lord's wisdom, he had me wait for marriage. It seemed, honestly, like marriage and family were not the Lord's plan for me. But just like my salvation, God reminded me that every good gift comes from him and that I could trust and wait for his perfect will for me. In his time, God does everything well, graciously giving and doing far more than we expect or imagine. I know now that he was clearly working in me from the beginning. I wanted my baptism to reflect that clearly. Christ is my Lord and Savior. He drew me to himself at the perfect time. I am his child. I'm so thankful that my life in Christ is my greatest treasure, and I am grateful to be able to be baptized today in obedience to Scripture. This is the testimony that he wrought in me, that because of his work for me and in me, I belong entirely to him. Julie, before you step in, I'm going to ask you um, two questions. Do you believe... And God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, according to God's Word, the Holy Scriptures. I do. It's like a wedding ceremony. <laughs> and that's what baptism is. Except today she's, it's not me, she's marrying. That happened a while ago. Um, is Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior? He is. Okay. It's going to be our joy to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I'm going to ask you to step gingerly into these waters. Thanks. <laughs> Julie, in light of the cold waters, the clear... Testimony and confession of faith and the local church's affirmation um, on behalf of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We now baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Not every baptizee gets a holy kiss. Okay. Kim, I believe you're next. I think it's, uh, or or Alyssa. Alyssa. I'm Alyssa. sorry. No worries. Uh, hi, my name is Alyssa, and this is how God saved me. Uh, so ever since I was little, I went to church with my family every Sunday. I remember hearing the gospel when I was in elementary school. As I grew up, I was drawn to know more about God. 
During middle school, I attended youth groups and learned more about who God is while hearing the gospel more often. I heard that if you believed that Christ died on the cross for your sins, you will be saved. At the time, I thought I believed in him, but my heart refused to surrender my entire life to him. I refused to let go of control and obey the Lord. For years, I lived a double life where at church I was seen as a so-called good Christian girl. But outside of the church, I lived in a way where I'd want to fit into the world's standards and ultimately be my own God, supposedly being able to do what pleased me. During my junior year of high school, God took away a lot of things I idolized in my life, such as friends and grades. I was angry at God for why he would do this, and I continued to reject him. I wanted and tried to run away from God that year to live the life I wanted to live without him, and pursued the desires of my flesh. This led to isolating myself from everyone, indulging in entertainment for hours on end to escape the reality of my life. Each time I sought to be defined by my grades, my friendships, acceptance, and so on. But in the end, I was refusing to obey what God wanted for me and who to be. In the summer of 2018, by God's grace, he slowly started turning me towards him. I attended a camp where the theme was about identity. It addressed how society tells us to define ourselves instead of fitting a traditional mold, but instead we should look at what the Bible says who we are and our ultimate purpose. My identity is found in God as being his creation, as it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Genesis 1.27 God created me so I belong to him, that he is my authority, and that he owns me, and that ultimately I need God to live not only physically, but spiritually. I reflected on how, during the past year, I despised God and chose to run away from Him. I saw how I sinned against God in so many ways, and I deserved the wrath He had towards me. I deserved to go to hell for my sins, but by His grace, He made a way for me through the gospel. He showed me that in Christ, I am loved undeservingly, and that I can be forgiven for my sins through Christ. I was so broken when I saw the depths of my sins, but that Christ made a way so I can be redeemed. He showed me through the messages at camp and the word how I needed him more than anything else in the world because I belong to him and that I am not the ruler. At camp, after realizing the weight of my sin and the hope found in Christ, this led me to surrendering to Christ as Lord of my life. During my senior year, God challenged me with my college plans and ultimately my future. I did not know what will happen with my life and where I will go, but God has it all planned out. My heart was filled with pride in what I desired, but the Lord humbled me greatly. This taught me to depend on him more by learning to give it up to God. And remember, he is the God who is in control of all things. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Romans 8.28 It was difficult to let go of my plans for college and everything related to that, but God again showed how he has greater plans for me. While coming to San Jose was not my first choice, God had ordained all things so that I can be molded to look more like Christ. During my time in college, God has been revealing how I live half-heartedly where I would be a Christian on Sundays, but do as I please the rest of the week. My life belongs to God, and He is calling me to take up my cross daily and following Him. When I try to find pleasure and entertainment and avoid my problems, God turns me back to Him to show that my life cannot be fulfilled by these worldly pleasures. Instead, I am now His servant who is called to seek Him first over everything else and know it all will be taken care of by God. But seek first the kingdom of God in his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Matthew 6.33 In Psalm 119, God showed me the joy of knowing his following his commandments. 
In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Psalm 119, 14 to 16. God has been revealing a lot of pride in my heart and my knowledge and understanding of his word. By his grace in Christ, I'm learning to follow what he commands me to do and finding joy in doing so. Before, my heart never wanted to obey God, but thanks to Christ, he is teaching me how to delight in what he commands and desiring the things of the Lord over the world. One of his commandments is for believers to be baptized, and that is why today I'm taking the step of water baptism to publicly profess my faith and commitment to following Christ. In knowing Christ, I am also part of his church body. I used to be always isolated and hidden from others, but now I am learning what it means to be part of his church, which includes being a member of the local church, submitting to our leaders and higher authority, and how we should be behaving in his household. This world cannot compare to the joy of knowing Christ, and everything that is good comes from God alone. I am very imperfect and fall short of his glory every day, but through Christ he allows me to bring my burdens before him, repent of my sins, and, to, and do his will. God is holy and sovereign, yet full of grace and mercy, that has allowed me to stand before him unblemished in Christ. May God receive all the glory for everything in my life today and the rest of my days. Thank you. Alyssa, before you step in, thank you for that sweet, sweet testimony. I want to ask you first, do you believe in the God of the Bible, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit? I do. I do. And is Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior? He is. Thank you. Alyssa, in light of the clear testimony of God's work in your life, it's our joy and our privilege on behalf of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Miss Kim, now's your time. That's my husband. But anyways, um, hi, my name's Kim Berlin, but most of you know me by as Kim Leung. Um, I grew up in a family who attended church on Sundays. Um, I attended a Christian school from kinder to junior high. I think it's kinder, um, where I was constantly hearing about the gospel six days out of the week. In elementary school, I was approached by my pastor of the time if I wanted to be baptized. I had agreed to do it as all my friends were doing it, um, and also my sister, and I wanted to be obedient to my pastor. After getting baptized, I thought I felt like clean in a sense, um, that I was feeling as if I was glowing with the Holy Spirit. As I got older, I realized that it was really just uh, me being excited to have been baptized with my friends and being obedient to my leadership. Um, as I grew up in junior high and high school, I lived my life the way I wanted to. I still went to church on Sundays and fellowship groups on Fridays to nights to make my parents happy and to make more friends as my family had decided to move churches. 
Um, in high school, I lived my life by focusing on having fun, doing uh, good in school to please my parents, and dating many guys. In high school, I would pray to God only for things I needed, as if he was like a magical genie who granted all my wishes and desires. These relationships I had were very ungodly, and the only time I would pray to God during those relationships was to get out of an abusive relationship when my then-boyfriend had made me do many things um, with him after he had abused me both mentally and physically. Um, But during my last relationship in high school, I had realized my life was so meaningless and that I had honestly felt dead inside and out. My life had no purpose. I had feelings of being empty. I didn't care what my then boyfriend wanted to do, even if it wasn't pure. From then on, I sought to seek wisdom of what it meant to be truly saved, since it clearly was something I could not do on my own. The summer before I entered college, I went to CBM camp, which is a camp of multiple churches gathering their high school and middle school students to be at a week-long retreat to learn about the gospel from... A, a godly speaker um, at CBM camp. I had placed a desire in my heart to hear what the guest speaker was saying and truly listen to God's word. The theme of that year was based on Joshua 1 9 Be strong and courageous. The verse reads, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. This camp has taught me that no matter what, God is with me everywhere I go, and ultimately only He could help me through um, whatever circumstances I may go through. After this camp, sorry, uh, after this camp, I had got ready to go to college, and I had a heart driven by God to find a local church to challenge me spiritually and to grow according to His will and not my own. It was by God's will to use my father to help me apply to San Jose State for me as an occupational therapist, as I was really gunning for another school. Um, but this allowed me to go to San Jose to find Lighthouse Bible Church San Jose. Granted, I did not find LBC SJ on my own as Uh, I was recommended by Vincent, my now husband, as at the time he was also looking for a new church to attend to. God had used my time at LBCSJ to find me a discipler who walked me through the many challenges of being a woman of God in college. As I had mentioned earlier, I felt dead on the inside and out, but in college, God had was the one who changed my perspective in life to trust in Him, just as it says in Proverbs 3, 5-6, to as it reads, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make, your straight. He will make straight your paths. Even though my struggle of feeling meaningless and feeling dead, God still loved me enough to send Christ to die for me in my sins, even though I was living however I wanted to, and to show me salvation and life in Him. Just like how it also says in Romans 5, 6-11, as it reads, For while we were still weak, at that right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one who will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, uh, one would dare even to die, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, sorry, it's the book, um, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more... 
much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved in by his life more than that we also rejoice in god through our lord jesus christ through whom we have now received reconciliation i did nothing to deserve his grace yet he still showed me love through christ and to start leading my life according to his will he showed me to the true understanding of how my life should be lived by not according to my own hearts or anybody else's desires but according to his will I don't have an exact date or even know the exact month, but I want to say that Christ truly entered my heart in the year 2012 to 2013, which would be my sophomore year in college. After I was saved, I had a better understanding of what God's love and grace really meant for me. Through his love and grace, he helped show me that as long as I am with him, I am not alone through my struggles and that he had a purpose for me on this earth. My purpose isn't for my heart's desire to be fulfilled with worldly things, but for my heart's desire to be filled with his love and the desires for the people on this earth to ultimately have eternal life with him. I want to share that I am no longer empty and feeling dead inside, but I am filled with God's love and grace. He shows me that he is the only way I can handle any struggles in my life, and only through him I have the strength to overcome anything. It has taken some time for me to have realized that I have been disobedient to God's word, but ultimately praying more about my testimony and having witnessed many other baptisms here at LBCSJ, God has called upon my heart to be obedient in his word of Matthew 28, 18-20, where his disciples, disciples shall be baptized to announce to family and friends that I am a child of God. He is the one that ultimately leads my life and not the world or my sin. May I continue to grow in his spirit and to do his will and not my own desires or my own will. But may my church, family, friends keep me accountable. And may I also keep everyone else accountable as well from here on out. Thank you. Kim, thank you for sharing with us what God has done. And we just want to ask in front of everybody, do you believe in the God of the Bible, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit? Uh, Yes, I do. And is Jesus Christ your Savior and your Lord? He is. We know that from the testimonies, but it just helps for everybody that we're just affirming very clearly those things. And so, Kim, I'm going to ask you to come over here and... uh, Kim, in light of this testimony and just the affirmation that if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We, and on behalf of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, baptize you in the name of your Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. Anthony. Uh, hello, my name is Anthony. Um, this is a testimony of God's work in my life, and I am being baptized because of God's calling from His Word to tell us that tells us uh, the necessity of a, to be baptized in front of the church. Uh, before coming to college, 
I grew up in a household of non-believers and didn't know who God was. Through childhood, I grew up thinking that there was almost nothing in the world I could rely on by myself. I stayed home alone for the majority of my teenage years. My parents were mostly absent uh, most of the day working, and I felt and felt absent even when they were home. I became disinterested and bored of the world very quickly because every day was a cycle of school, going home, flowing time, and repeating. Through the self-reliance, I closed my heart to the world and felt like I couldn't trust anyone but myself. So when I started college, I wasn't really too hopeful of the world. I remember telling myself to try anything in hopes of something changing. Looking back, I realized that God's plan stretches out farther than I could ever imagine. There are too many coincidences, or what I would call them at the time. The first first one would be uh, choosing college based on career and comfortability. Uh, San Jose State wasn't even a choice for college until I heard uh, my cousins talking about it a month before applications. Uh, I was also randomly assigned grown Christians as roommates who invited me out to church, and there was also their persistence to invite me out even when I rejected them multiple times. Finally, God used the time when I continued to go to uh, Sunday service and Pathlight Lighthouse, Lighthouse's college ministry to soften my heart. There's there's a lot of time spent being convicted of whether I should be attending church or not if I didn't believe anything that was being said. While I listened and remembered what was taught. Most of it just got turned into head knowledge. During this time, I mostly went to church to be with a group of people who are nice and enjoyable to be around. After my first year of college, my uh, my heart was still set on the selfish desires of the years because my life felt comfortable due to being with God's people. I did not think that any of the messages had an application in my life due to the pride. Uh, the turning point occurred when I was dropped out of my major uh, at the end of my second year of college and became unsure of the future. It became a huge amount of anxiety for me because I started questioning if I could, I would be able to do it alone. There was a lot of expectations for my family to further my career through college since they were paying for everything. God uses this event to soften my heart so I had to go to him. Due to my reliance on the flesh, I felt, af- I felt afraid because I lost control over my future. I prayed that if he would get me through this, I would follow and believe of him, a God who keeps his promises. God put me in a major I currently enjoy. While I understand that God is not a genie that you go to every time you want something, he uses moments to help learn more about him. This was another moment where I saw God's plan reaches farther than we could ever imagine. I asked myself if he could do something as simple as this, what else would he be able to do? After these events, I pushed towards learning who God was and what he was going to do. I learned about the joy of his promised life after this one uh, and compared it to the suffering that I was given in this world. Through sermons, God taught me about the total depravity of our sins and our deserved death due to him being a righteous God. He also showed me his grace by sending his only son into the world. His word taught the necessity of Christ's death on the cross for every one of our sins and our faith-based salvation. Even though I agreed to these things, I did not. I don't believe I uh, was saved at the moment because I had other questions about repentance. Like, how do we know that we are repenting, and uh, if we are repenting, why are we still in sin? I, delete, I did not believe that in my repetitive sinfulness that I would ever be saved. This led to understanding that repentance is not a one-time thing, but a constant uh, necessity of, tur- uh, of turning to Christ, either through prayer or going to his word. Repentance also doesn't mean that we won't be sinful as we go on with our lives, but we are forever righteous with God due to Christ's blood and sacrifice on the cross. While I don't remember the exact moment I became a follower of Christ and declared him Lord and Savior, God has con- constantly sh- 
showed me the necessity to draw near him, especially when you are in sin, and he will not chase us away. Uh, James 4, 6 through 8, but he gives us grace. He gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your heart, you double-minded. God's word has been desperately needed through the passing of my grandfather's these past few months. It's during those times where you feel like you could do nothing, where God's greatness and sovereignty is shown. Uh, Romans eight eighteen. For I consider the sufferings of this present time not worth comparing to the glory that is revealed to us. Uh, before knowing Christ, I was trapped in my own sin and my own sin of pride and self-reliance. Now I've put my faith in God and repented from my anxiety and sins. God has sent His only Son to die on the cross to be a sacrifice for our sins. Through this, I am dead to sin and found a new life in Christ through the repentance of my sins. I'm a finite person in need of an infinite God to be a light uh, in the sinful world and to show His glory. Through His Word, God has shown me His commandments uh, for the necessity to be baptized in front of His church, to declare my alliance to Christ and the reality of my new life in Him. Anthony, before you step in, just going to ask, do you believe in the God of the Bible, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit? I do. And is Jesus Christ your Savior and Lord? He is. Anthony, come on and step in. It's our joy and our privilege on behalf of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and your very clear confession and the joy in seeing what God did over a period of years to give you a new heart and a new life. It's our joy to baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Hello, uh, my name is Trevor, and uh, I'm going to share my testimony. I grew up in a Christian household, and because my family went to church every week, I would go to Sunday school where I heard all the Bible stories like Noah's Ark, or Jonah and the Whale. And I would know all these stories, but all of this would be head knowledge growing up. I heard about who God was and who Jesus was, but I did not understand what that meant for me, nor did I have a relationship with Him. I just went to church because my parents took me. When I was in fourth grade, my family and I switched churches from Cumberland Peninsula to Sunset Church in San Francisco. In middle school, I started attending Sunset's Friday Night Youth Fellowship. We would have a worship, a sermon from our youth pastor, and small group. Sorry. And this is where we discuss more intentionally about God through questions from the sermon. But even then, I still lacked a full understanding of how my life is changed by the gospel. My life before knowing Christ was one where I had big idols in my life. I prioritized sports, video games, and school over my time with God. 
I did not put my reliance on his wisdom, and in turn did not read the Bible or pray. I only continued to go to youth fellowship because my friends were there, and I treated it as just a way to hang out with them, instead of the mindset of learning more about Christ. In high school, I began serving as a summer day camp counselor for Sunset's Camp Tunes, where we were in charge of interacting with children from 1st to 8th grade through various... through various activities, but most importantly, we were responsible for planning lessons where the campers can learn about who God is through various passages in the Bible. Even though these lessons are planned for the children, it was very beneficial to me as a counselor because as I studied the passages for myself and tried to understand what the main points were, I was learning about God's character. I learned about how God is perfect. He is holy and righteous and deserves all of our praise to him. But throughout my time in high school, even though I was learning more, it did not translate to my own walk with God, and I was still living for my own desires instead of what God wants. God saved me when I transitioned to life in college. Going away for college comes with independence, and most importantly, choosing to continue to go to church or not. But God is sovereign, and he is in control. God put me in San Jose, where I was invited to Lighthouse's Pathlight College Ministry. Through God's grace, I was able to meet other collegians who put their faith in God and pointed me back to Christ. From that point on, I started attending Lighthouse on Sundays. To be honest, it took some time transitioning to a new church, but the Holy Spirit worked and softened my heart and I am thankful to God, thankful that God put me in LBCSJ, where I gained a new perspective on how we are to live out our lives as Christians. I learned about the importance of pursuing a life in Christ-likeness, and I am grateful for the commitment that this church has in following Scripture and em- emphasizing over and over again about not just being hearers of the Word, but doers of the word, as James one twenty two says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving, deceiving yourselves. Romans three ten to twelve says, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. I am a sinner. A broken person that is helpless and deserves to go to hell for all the ways that I have disobeyed God. The God who is righteous, holy, and perfect still loves me. He loves each and every one of us so much that he sent down his one and only son, Jesus, to live on this earth as a perfect and sinless man who lived the life that we couldn't and in the end died on the cross as a perfect sacrifice and was resurrected on the third day. Jesus' crucifixion allows us to be forgiven of all of our sins, and because of this, we can have a relationship with God in heaven. If we put our faith in God as our Lord and Savior, we can have salvation through Him. But what does it mean to put our faith in God? It means that we now live not for our own selfish desires, but we now live out a life that is pleasing to God, as Colossians 3, 1-4 says, 
If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also, you will also appear with him in glory. Because I put my faith in God, it means full repentance from sin and turning to God for forgiveness. God calls us to turn away from our sin and to turn to him instead. Our life after Christ should look more like Christ and less like the world. When we sin, we need to come before God in prayer and ask for forgiveness. It also means relying on his wisdom to shape my life, and it comes through studying and understanding scripture and obeying it. After being saved, I go to church not out of habit or hanging out with friends, but I go to learn more and to grow in my understanding of Scripture and how to apply it in my life. I know the importance of being fed the Word, and I make time in my day to dive, to dive into God's Word and to pray. So I do not rely on my own wisdom, but God's wisdom. As I am currently going through the book of Matthew, I am learning and implementing about the importance of having a loving heart. When I am reading, praying, or interacting with others, it should be from a heart that builds up and encourages others in their faith and to ultimately glorify God and not myself. That is because of the love that Christ has shown me, shown to me and therefore should affect my actions. As a Christian, I am also called to commit to the church body to serve others and to point each other back to Christ. I am thankful to God for his sovereignty over my life and it is only because of him that my life is changed. Thank you. Trevor, thank you for your testimony and the clear proclamation of what God has done in your heart and your life. A uh, couple of questions. Do you believe in the God of the Bible, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit? I do. And is Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior? He is. Okay. Come on in. And... Uh, on behalf of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, it is our joy and our privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father and in the name of the Son and in the name of the Holy Spirit. Arnold, last but not least. Hi, I'm Arnold, and this is my testimony to Christ. I didn't grow up in a Christian household, but ever since I can remember, I've always had an interest in spirituality. During my youth, a few of my friends attended church, and I remember tagging along with them just to hang out. But in my heart, I despise Christianity. I always ask myself, how could a loving God send good people to hell? I simply refused to believe in a God like that. During high school, I decided Buddhism was the right religion for me. In Buddhism, your fate is determined by your karma or how much good you do relative to the bad. This appealed to me because it put me in control. I just had to do the rituals, serve, and be an overall moral person to secure blessings in this life and the life to come. 
However, after several years of practicing this religion, I obtained none of the peace that I had hoped for, but instead experienced depression and paranoia. By God's grace, a childhood friend, I see you, Olivia, (laughs) reached out to me during this time and shared the gospel. And during my sophomore year in college, I prayed the sinner's prayer, which I thought sealed my salvation to Christ, but I was deceived. Though I claimed I was now a believer, I quickly succumbed into the college party scene. Church attendance and prayer were only used as safety nets whenever I felt guilty. Eventually, I would suppress all moral convictions as I would binge on alcohol, frequent nightclubs, and have one-night stands. The progressive Christianity movement appealed to me as it affirmed my faith without any accountability or objective biblical truth. I now see how dangerous and heretical this movement is as it serves to deceive and lead people away from the one true God of the Bible. By worldly standards, I had a great life upon graduating from school. I had just gotten my master's degree from a top university, I had the respect from family and friends, and was in a career that was taking off. But in my heart, I was becoming egotistical, bitter, and was hooked on sexual immorality. I lived to satisfy these desires and hurt many people along the way. Thanks be to God that he would eventually break me and make me realize that I needed change. I began asking God for guidance and two years ago was led to Lighthouse Bible Church in San Jose. This church was unlike any church I've been to before. Never did I hear the word of God upheld so highly. The teachings challenged me and I remember constantly debating my small group just to see if I could find some loopholes in the Bible. But the more I read, the more convinced I was about the, the Bible's supreme authority and usefulness in my life. As Second Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and for training in righteousness. So reluctantly, I continued with Lighthouse and was meeting with my discipleship leader, Garrett, on a regular basis. Garrett had some concerns about my understanding of repentance, a requirement for biblical salvation. Garrett explained to me that repentance is not something that we can do naturally on our own. Repentance is a gift from God. As John 6.44 says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him on the last day. In other words, salvation is only possible if the Holy Spirit changes our hearts with a genuine desire to fully obey Christ. I was stunned. Did this mean that I could still go to hell despite all the effort I've been putting in to change my life? I was sexually abstinent, drug-free, and attending church on a regular basis now. What more did I need to do? The thought that I may not actually be saved lingered deeply, and I prayed to God to expose me to the truth. That is when he brought me to Hebrews 10.26. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. I knew that Jesus died on the cross, and I've heard the gospel plenty of times. But despite all my works, I was still holding on to my selfish ambitions and lusts. I still hadn't fully surrendered my life to Christ. At that moment, I was convinced I was not saved. And based on my understanding of repentance now, there was absolutely nothing I could do besides turn to God. I stayed up almost the entire night begging God for for his forgiveness, that if by his grace he would save me. I told him to take away every sin that I was holding on to, that I was prepared to lose friends, status, even suffer persecution and death. My life was now his. From that moment on, my life began to change drastically. The biggest change was my attitude towards sin. I felt as though my conscience was renewed, and I began developing a genuine desire for obedience to God and a love for his church. But even though the changes in me were obvious, I had no assurance of my faith because I would constantly compare myself to other believers and think I wasn't holy enough to call myself a Christian. The assurance of my salvation came last February after going through 1 John. This book in the Bible talks about attributes of those who are saved, such as walking in the light, separation from the world, and abiding in the truth. After much prayer, I was convinced that these characteristics illustrated my new life. However, what sealed that assurance was God reminding me of the gospel, that salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ alone, who sacrificed himself on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. There was nothing more or less I could do to earn my way into heaven. Through faith, Jesus saved me, not because of my works or how holy I perceived myself to be. If salvation were based on works, we all would be receiving the punishment of hell. As Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
Even though this past year has been met with its fair share of, share of trials and tribulations, God has grown me in ways I could have never imagined. I was once a pagan, fornicator, and murderer at heart, but God in his mercy saved me through his son, Jesus Christ. My salvation is sealed because of the blood that Jesus shed on that cross. He gave me a new life and adopted me into his church family, which I will commit to serving in and loving as a brother in Christ. To God be the glory alone. Arnold, thank you for sharing the mighty work that the Lord has done. Um, a couple of questions before you step into the waters. First, do you believe in the God of the Bible? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I'm going to ask you to come over here so I don't put all the, so I don't electrocute Kevin. I do. Okay. And is Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior? He is. Okay. Come on in. Arnold, what a joy and privilege. And, and to follow all these dear saints over years, the church body, as we hear their stories and come in and shepherds come and say they think they're a Christian but we're not sure, and just having that joy to walk through and see what the Lord has done and in His time and in His way, Arnold, it's, it's the joy and privilege that we have on behalf of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, on behalf of your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to baptize you in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. We're going to make a transition here, and I believe Ted's going to come up and uh, help close down our, our service. But there's a couple of things I want to highlight for you. Thank you for being with us. If you heard these testimonies, which I believe you have, but if we see it through the light of Scripture, if you see the way the Lord has worked in the lives of these dear saints and children of God, there's a... a a way as Americans that we long for a microwave Christianity, that you pop it in the microwave and after three minutes it comes out all popped and ready to go. But when we look at the Word of God and we see who God is, that He is patient, He is loving, He is gracious, He gives the help that we don't have or we need, and He is a good and loving Father, he is a beautiful and wonderful son. He is a comforter and an encouraging Holy Spirit. You see the same testimony that we find in the Scriptures over and over again. That more often than not, the Lord takes His time in His perfect time and in His perfect way, using not one man, a preacher, or one moment, but the whole household of God in small steps, coming together to create something wonderful and beautiful in and through His mighty work and His gospel. And that's what we see. And for many of you here, we, we do. We just want to thank you. Some of you aren't members of our church, but you were there. And this happens every year where you participated, you shared, and you went through some rough rides where people thought they were believers, but they really weren't. And yet you see if we are willing to give God what he deserves, to do it his way. Over time and over years, he shows himself to be faithful and true and gracious and loving everything that the gospel is and testifies to. 
I'm going to ask if you would join me in prayer just to thank and praise the Lord for His mighty work in the lives of these dear saints. Oh Lord, there's no one like You. You are the Father that we all should be but fall short of and that we long to have. You are the Son who in faithfulness and obedience perfectly loves the Father and loves us. You are the Spirit who comes alongside and does in our lives what we could never do for ourselves. We just thank you for the privilege and the gift of seeing your handiwork over a period of years, over a lifetime, before eternity, in the lives of these dear saints. And we praise you, and we bless your name, and we rejoice in the mighty works of God that we proclaim from one generation to the next. In your name we pray. Amen.